You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. God says, First Peter, be holy for I am holy. And last week we talked about the holiness of God, but then He gives us a task. He gives us a responsibility. He says, you be holy too because I am holy. So Obed-Edom was this man who took the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, into his house. He didn't request it. He didn't ask for it. The presence of God just stopped in and said, I'm staying here. We talked about that last week, about how you have not initiated whatsoever God being in your life. You've just responded to an invitation to host God's presence if you do believe in who He is. And that is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God coming to reside in our hearts. So this big piece of furniture, the presence of God moves into Obed-Edom's house. And if you look at it just as a piece of furniture, a big piece of furniture, you must assume then that Obed-Edom had to rearrange some of the furniture and some of the decor in his house. Anything like me, your house is full of furniture. And so if another big old piece of furniture comes in, the couch has got to move. Might take that picture down and put it over there and match the color of the ark. And it's probably gold trimmed, right? So you automatically have a new color palette in your house. It says that Obed-Edom was blessed and all of his household was blessed by the Ark of the Covenant. I'm so intrigued by this because there was a man a couple verses earlier who collided with the Ark and it killed him. I don't think death is a blessing. So we have to then assume that there was a behavior that Obed-Edom engaged with that actually allowed the presence of God to be what it is, a blessing. And so the ark moving into Obed-Edom's house demanded that Obed-Edom respond. And how he responded was by shifting everything around that ark. And I think what a beautiful metaphor it is for us that when the presence of God moves into our lives, big piece of furniture just can't move in without you doing anything about it. When the Spirit of God moves into our lives, the response is us starting to rearrange the contents of our life around the presence of God. And so I believe that the story is telling us through Obed-Edom that the blessing of the holiness of God in your life comes when you start to respond to God's holiness. So when God says, be holy because I am holy, it's not you initiating holiness, it's you responding to holiness. See, holiness is not initiated by you. We need to get that down pat. It's an active and loving response to who lives in you. That's what holiness is. And so when God tells us to be holy, he's saying, respond lovingly and actively to my holiness that lives inside of you. His presence in our life provokes us to change. When you know that God is in you and furthermore experience God in you, you can't touch the same things that you used to touch. You can't watch the same things that you used to watch without being aware that God is in you. 
You can't go to the places that you used to go to and be with the people that you used to be with because of God's presence in you. As we talked last week, holiness doesn't keep us from the world, but it actually helps us engage with the world. So it's not about not doing and not going. It's about why we're going and why we're doing. And so holiness allows us then to rearrange our lives in a way that is a reflection of God's character in us. The bottom line, Obed-Edom was blessed because he responded to the big piece of furniture that moved into his house. In other words, that every decision that Obed-Edom made in his life revolved around the presence of God. Every decision that he made in his life was made with God in mind. This is what our definition of the fear of God is. It's no longer God is going to kill me if I'm not pure in his presence. It's this. I'm going to make every move, every decision, every thought of my life is going to be made with God in mind. What What does God think about this? What does God think about me going this way in my life or doing this thing or being friends with this person or dating this person? What does God think about it? And when I find out what God thinks about it, it helps me inform then the pathway that I'm going to take in my life. It says in the scriptures that the fear of God allows him to tell us which path we should choose. It says that in Proverbs. Many of us, practically speaking, are in a place of decision in our lives. And when we are faced with a decision, we get paralyzed. Why? Because we don't know which one is going to be the blessing. We don't know which one God wants us to take. But there's a solution for that. It's the fear of God. Make every decision with him in mind and he will make it clear which path you should take. This is in Proverbs. But we need to, for a moment, contrast the fear of God with the fear of man. Because the fear of man, conversely then, is you're making decision with another person in mind. I'm not going to do that because of the way they're going to think about me. I'm going to do this because it's actually going to grow my reputation. It's actually make me look good in front of my friends. It's actually going to help me climb the ladder in my corporate career. That's called the fear of man. You're making your decision with man in mind. I'm not going to step out and do that because I might embarrass myself. What if then, though, the fear of man comes up against the fear of God in your life? Which way will you choose? This is significantly important for us. That if God tells us to go this way and it looks optically like it actually might hurt our lives and the world is telling us to go this way and it looks like it's actually going to promote us and get us forward and make us look better, which decision are we going to make? You see now how then making decisions with God in mind is actually the pathway to blessing. It's not easy. But it is, oh wow. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's black and white. Not easy, 
It pulls on the emotions. It pulls on the anxiety. It pulls on fear. It pulls on issues that we've had since we're a a child. But here's the thing. God presents us with this so that we have a choice in the matter. He's not pulling us around to tell us what we should do. He's saying, do you want to do things with me in mind or with them in mind? But if you do things with me in mind, I can guarantee you that there's blessing on the other side. This is the blessing of Obed-Edom. Everything became blessed because there was a new factor in every decision that he made. I'm a keeper of the thing that is most important to Israel. Instead of going out to party, I'm going to go home and make sure this thing is spotless and shiny. I can't have you over to my house because you're really clumsy. You ever, you ever house sit someone else's pet? It's, <laughs> I got to get home. Because if I don't get home, something's going to happen in my home. You start to change your way of life because something else has moved in. Be holy because I am holy. Respond with your life to the person that's moved into your life. And when we say we need to keep God in mind in every decision that we make, we must then understand that God has a character. God has a nature. God has a name, and within his name is the content of his character, which means if you have a poor paradigm or understanding of who God is, you're going to make some poor decisions in the name of the fear of God. But if you understand God in a first-hand basis or a first-name basis, that he is loving and that he is kind, He's long-suffering. He came in pursuit of us. That, Like we said last week, you can't do anything to deserve his presence, but you can't do anything to deserve to lose his presence. That he will pursue you to the end of your life because he loves you so much. That's a healthy fear of God. I can come back to him boldly even when I've made a mistake because his grace covers all of that mistake. You can see, though, that if I have a poor understanding of who he is, it's going to keep me from reapproaching him. David saw Uzzah die. He says, I want nothing to do with that piece of furniture because it will kill me. And so he pushed it aside. And then he saw this other man respond and say, I, I don't, didn't do anything to deserve this thing coming to my house, but I may as well take advantage that it's here. And it blessed everything in his life. And David said, ah, that's right. That's who my God is. I need to go get this thing back. Israel, when it moved through the deserts, they had this ark and they kept it inside this tent. Whenever they would move from one place to another, they would set the ark in the tent, the tabernacle, and then they would build the infrastructure of their city around the ark. Everything they did as a culture was built around the presence of God. This is there primarily to show us the way that we should be living and arranging and building our lives. And it's around who he is. He is the priority. He is the precedent from which we do and say and move and have our being. All of it is from him. See, this is the model. If you feel like you're not receiving the blessing that God has in store for you, I would ask you then to look at the priority of your life. 
Are you living with him in mind? Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his holiness. Seek first him and everything else will be added to you. This is the blessing of Obed-Edom. And so the two important words that we discussed last week were revelation and response. Last week we talked a lot about revelation, the revelation of his holiness. But we also need to understand our response to his holiness. Paul puts it this way in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6.1. He says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. His grace being the free gift of his presence. What does it mean to receive his grace in vain? We have his presence, but it actually has no effect in our life. It doesn't change us at all. It's Obed-Edom taking this ark into his house and placing him in the garage. I don't have to see it. I don't have to know that it's there. It's there. Check the box. Going to heaven. God's in my life, but I'm not bothered by it whatsoever. Paul is saying, we urge you not to receive the presence of God in vain because the presence of God, the grace of God, is there to change your life. Grace doesn't just cover your sin, but it empowers you to live the life that God died to give you. Don't receive it in vain. I want to talk about grammar for a moment. Come on. Yeah. This is a guy who failed grade 10 English. Now I'm a communicator for a living. I had some rebellion issues. Don't hold it against me. I want to talk about grammar. I want to give you this word called conjunction. Have you heard of it before? Come on, make your English teachers happy. Ms. Signatholler, where are you at? Conjunction, and, but, if, there you go, come on. Yeah, there's like an acronym for it. Conjunction is something that actually brings two independent clauses together. Two different thoughts and connects them. We have revelation and we have response. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and it's going to be quite the passage of scripture. But I want to show you something that I pray that you will never unsee in the scriptures. Can we read together? I want you to think, where is the conjunction? Where are the conjunctions? Colossians chapter 3. And the heading for this chapter is this. Living as those made alive in Christ. What does it look like to live with the presence of God in you? Since then, conjunction, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For conjunction, you died and your life is now hidden in Christ with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
like to stay away from these things, don't we, when we read Scripture? God's grace covers all of that, right? Yes, but, but, but he actually empowers us to, to deal with them. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Revelation and response. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's easy for Paul to lead us in this direction because of the gift we've been given in Jesus. Paul is laying it out on the table. Here's, here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Then he says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father, thanks to God the Father through him. He's saying, whatever you do, do it in his name. Let your life revolve around his presence. Conjunction, clause, independent clause, conjunction, another independent clause. I think sometimes we can look at the writings of Paul and take one clause and say, I'm going to say, I'm going to believe that Christianity is this way. Be holy, one clause. Just do it. Just live the way that I'm telling you to live and all is going to be okay with you. If I cursed growing up, I was getting a spanking for sure. I actually thank my parents for that. But it was actually in the name of passages of Scripture like this. Be holy. Just do it. Nike would not endorse Paul. Because Paul doesn't say just do it. He says, since then, Jesus has done all of these things because he has loved you when you didn't deserve to be loved. He has poured himself over and onto your life. He has given you things that you could not think of on your own. Since he has done these things, now start to live this way. It was a revelation and a response. I'm afraid though, we live in this post-Christianity culture where people will look at passages of Scripture like this, where the entirety of our 
relationship with God and say, it's oppressive. How dare you tell me not to do these things? How dare you have any hand in how I live my life? Yet Paul, speaking to a culture that was probably more barbarian than this one, said, live this way, don't live this way. But he always connected it to Christ's love and sacrifice for you. When God calls us to be holy, he's saying, don't do it to earn my grace and earn my favor. He's saying, do it because you have my grace and you have my favor. This is what it looks like to live out and revolve your life around the presence of God. These things. We have this other movement within Christianity that I grew up in, which is the grace movement where we took the first half of the clause that God's grace covers your life, but we didn't reinsert the second half. Just live. You're okay. You're going to make it in. Go. And we don't know what it means to actually be the people of God. And if we don't know what it means to be the people of God, I'm afraid then that we will not inherit the blessing of God. So we go onto the university campus or you go to your, your job site, you go to work or you meet with your family who doesn't believe and they start poking holes. You have no clue how to stand up and give the reason for why you do certain things or are compelled to live the life that you do. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Colossians 2, 6-7, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We have some ground to make up as the church of God in the city of Vancouver. I think we've made demands on people in the name of God without them first having a personal revelation of God. The Uzzah had no reverence for God. It says that he didn't have reverence for the ark. Therefore, he handled it in a way that he shouldn't handle it. And I think some of us live our lives this way where we actually know how to make our way around the presence of God. We know how to do well in cultures like this one. We walk into a room and we know how to manage ourselves. We know not to cuss. We know not to lie. We know how to be happy in all of these things. But we've actually learned the way of Christianity without knowing the source of Christianity. Jesus says to a bunch of people, we're doing good works in his name. He says, depart from me. I did not know you. We don't want people to play a part or do the thing without having first encountered Jesus Christ. This is why in our community, we give so much room to the presence of God. Because unless there's an encounter with him, we don't have any precedent to help people live a better life. If we pursue the second clause and forget the first, we're just helping people manage their behavior. 
But this thing, you've heard it before, is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. But when the heart is transformed, this is what it should look like. We've learned sometimes how to rearrange our lives so that we fit in. I knew. I knew the song and dance growing up. And it wasn't until I had an encounter with Christ for myself that it actually started to make sense why I shouldn't do these things and why I should do these things. We don't have any right, according to the writings of Paul, to demand things on people's lives unless they get the first clause. We learned some grammar this morning. Have you seen the scriptures this way before? If we don't know the first clause, if we don't know what Christ has done for us, I'm telling you, holiness and the concept of it is going to be the fastest pathway to burden for you. If you don't know why you come and serve on Sundays or why you need to be generous or why we're called to live a certain way in our lives, living that way and doing those things will actually start to crush you. And then at that point, you'll start to question the whole thing altogether. Because that which is supposed to be a blessing is now a burden because we forgot who the blessing was. And it's Him. So I want to love the way that I've been loved. I want to live the way that God has called me to live because that's my proper response to what he's given me in my life. I want to lay down my life for other people because he's laid down his life for me. I don't want to do this out of obligation. There will be no life in it. I want to give every ounce of who I am because God took me from the clay and set me on the rock just as we sang. Do we believe the words that come out of our mouths? That I didn't deserve anything but death and he took that from me and gave me life. Week after week after week, I show up and we do this and we love and we give away, not because there's anything good in us, but because we've encountered the king. We've encountered his love. He's lavishly poured it out on us and we can't help but love in return. It's a pleasure of mine not to do the things that Paul lays out in scripture. Why? Because it's my loving response to the king. It's a pleasure of mine to restrain myself from my desires and my lusts in life because of how much he's loved me. It's my gift to him. And he doesn't just take it and run away. He says, great, listen, now your life will be blessed because you're walking in the way that I've designed for you to walk. I'm living the greatest days of my life because I've chosen to say, God, you my priority. I've sought your kingdom. I've sought your righteousness. And now you're adding everything else behind my back. All I want to do is stare at you and have my life informed by you. And I know you're going to give me everything else. His blessings are contingent on our response to his presence. There are blessings that he pours out on all humanity, the scripture says whether you believe in him or not, but I'm telling you by the scriptures that there are blessings for your life as you walk in his ways. But we can't walk in his ways without him. We're getting somewhere. 
perfect time to say this line. I think a lot of us are like Dory from Finding Nemo. We got memory issues. We encounter Jesus and we love it and we make a commitment that I'm going to live this way and not do these things. And then it gets really, really tough two days later. I don't know why I made that commitment. I know in the moment that it was the right thing to do and I felt great about it. But now when this thing's in front of me, it seems like if I choose my own desires, that's going to bless me. And all God wants to do is burden me and restrain me and keep me from the good things in my life. We got memory issues. We got a, a friend in town this week. And one of the, my favorite things to do when people from out of town come into town, especially the ones from Toronto, West Coast is best coast. You know you want to move here. I love driving north on Canby, down the hill, because you get this beautiful view of the city. And then above the city is the mountains. And in the winter, you get the green, and then you get the snow-capped. And it's just amazing. It's so much better when you got the, 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 the sky, the sun just beaming on top. You got layers of beauty. And I'm like, this is why I love my city. And she comes in, and it's raining, and it's pouring, and it's disgusting, and Everybody's lonely and moody. And I'm like, this is the greatest city in the world. And I had to sit down with her and look up like all the poles of the greatest city in the world. We got Vienna. We got all these other places. I'm like, look, third in the world is Vancouver. You wouldn't know it by looking outside right now, but it is objectively. But here's the thing. Every time I drive down Canby, I don't forget what's behind the clouds. I remember why this is the greatest city in the world. The clouds come in, the rain come down. I'm like, just wait till tomorrow. It's going to be sunny. <laughs> Aren't we like that with God sometimes when we're like, this is amazing. Clouds come in and you forget that there's actually beauty on the other side of the clouds. Harassment starts to happen. Issues start to come up in your life. You're lonely. Depression starts to come in. Anxiety starts to knock at the door. Someone does something nuts to you and you hate it and it's downhill from there and you forget that there's a beautiful mountain on the other side of all that misery. God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. All of you guys are from Toronto. Toronto, Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. You see where I'm going? I really want this to sink in this morning. I never want to forget in my life the beauty of God. Because I need, for the sake of my life, for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my home, my children, this church, this city, my calling, for the sake of all of that, I need to remember with everything that I am, the goodness and the beauty of God. Because if I lose grip on that, all it becomes is a charade and a show just to try to please everybody else. I want every move I make to be made from the place of encounter with God. And the moments when it gets dry, the moments when it gets lonely, the moments it gets dark, I don't want those to inform where I'm at in my life. I want to grab hold to the anchor that was placed a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, because I don't want to lose the blessing of relationship with him. My wife goes out of town for three days. I don't forget how lovely and how beautiful and how amazing she is. I just long for the next time that I can see her. But I don't live like a single man if she leaves town. But so many of us are like this with God, that if we think he's distant or away, we start to live as though we don't even have a relationship with him at all. 
And then we wait for him to show up and prove himself again. And then we recommit and go. That is an ebb and flow of life that I do not want to touch ever again. I want what Obed-Edom had. Everything in my life, everything in my home was blessed because I hosted the presence of God. So we can stick God in the front room or we can stick him in the back room. His grace doesn't change. No matter where you put him, he's still going to love you and he's still going to give his life for you and he's still going to pour out without restraint over your life. That's the revelation of who our God is. But our response, your life will go as your response goes. God has given us all the power and all the energy we need to move into life that he's called us to. All we have to do is stick it in gear and go. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Some of us are reluctant to place God in the middle because of what it's going to require of us, what it's going to demand of us. I like this picture. I like this furniture. I like the way my life is. God, you can have a little bit, but you can't have all of this. I'm telling you, friend, that you're actually subverting the blessing of God by doing so. He doesn't say, give me part of your life. He says, give me all of your life. He asked for the entire thing. That's the only way that it works. That's the only way that it works. It's life for life. If you try to save your life, if you try to maintain your life, if you try to carry it in your own strength, Jesus says plain and clear, that's how you're going to lose it. But if you choose to give up your life, that's how you'll find life. Look what it says in Proverbs 21, 21. Passion translation says, the lovers of God who chase after righteousness will find all of their dreams come true. An abundant life drenched with favor and a fountain that overflows with satisfaction. It's a promise of God in the scripture. I don't know anybody that would look at that and say, that's not the life that I want. And if it is the life that you want, I would say good luck trying to get that on your own. And so many of us can spend our entire existence trying to chase this and never find it at the end of our days. And then that's the moment when death starts knocking and we say, Jesus, fine, you can have it. I, though, want to be the one who gives up my life right now so that the rest of my days on this earth can be lived in the fullness that he's provided for me. I don't know if there's anybody else out there. See, his his presence provokes us to change. That's his presence moving in. We got to rearrange things. But his presence is also the power to change. His presence provokes us to change, but his presence is also the power to change. He doesn't ask for a thing that he doesn't provide the power to accomplish. Look at Zacchaeus' life. Luke chapter 19. We're going to read this in the Passion Translation. Zacchaeus was this little guy. The wee little man was he. In Sunday school, can we sing together? Stephanie, where you at? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. There we go. Come on. 
We have verse 5. Zacchaeus, uh, Luke 19, verses 5 to 10. He was waiting for Jesus. He was a bad dude. He was a tax collector. He was like the bad dude of the day. Everybody despised this guy. Yet he made his own means to fill the hole that was in his heart. And he pursued riches and he did it deceitfully. It says, when Jesus got to the place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down, for I am appointed to stay at your house today. My presence is moving into your home, whether you like it or not. So we carried down, so we scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained. Look at this. Of all the people to have dinner with, he's gone to, to eat in the house of a crook. Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. And Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And the Lord, if I have cheated anyone, this was his response to holiness coming in. I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. And Jesus said to him, this shows today that life has come to you and your household for you are a true son of Abraham, the son of a man. Uh, the son of man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. This shows that life has come to his home. Jesus did not make a demand on Zacchaeus. All he did was walk into a man's house that did not deserve his presence and it prompted a response in him to take one step forward into holiness. I guarantee you that there were hundreds of things that were disjointed about Zacchaeus' life that did not line up with Jesus. Yet when Jesus walked in, he said, okay, I'm loved. I'm going to make one step towards his character, towards his nature. What I've done my entire life is build it upon something that was crooked. And now love has come in, filled the hole that I tried to fill myself. Now I have the strength to do what God has called me to do. God doesn't ask you to do anything that he doesn't first give you the power for. It says that life came to his house that day. Life came to his house because life came into his house. It's supposed to be a lowercase L, but we all capitalized here. Life came into his house because life came into his house. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. And because life Jesus walked into his house. Life came to his house. Revelation and response. Jesus is all you need in your life to do the things that he's called you to do. You don't have to wait for factors to align. You don't have to wait for the right money and the right time. All you need is life to come in and life will go out. Life came to his house because life came to his house. All you need to do today is take one step. You don't need to look at that list that Paul gave us and say, I'm going to change my life overnight. 
God is the one who's going to fill the spots that those things fill. And when he does, all you have to do is respond and stop giving your life to the thing that he took away from you. Holiness. Is it a blessing or is it a burden? Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.